Hello and welcome to the first ever Gone Writing Podcast. I'm Chucky Maggio, sitting alongside J.P. Butler, Derek, our photographer in the back. Took some excellent shots of yesterday's game. Go check them out. And yeah, we're we're on the way back from from Albany, from Siena, and uh, we're, we're ready to give this experiment a uh, a rumble. Let's give it a try. Let's see how it goes. J.P. got Hopefully any? You guys aren't too bored. <laughs> Yeah, we'll tr- we're, we're, we're going to try to make it as exciting as possible. There's, there, there, if, if it's boring, we'll blame it on the uh, surroundings here. There's not much not much to see, not much going on right now. We are currently on 88 West, heading back from Albany. We finally found it. Home. We finally found, we finally uh, found 88 West. We're about halfway home. So last, so last night, obviously, as about as good of a uh, first road trip of the season you could ask for. The Bonnies beat Sienna 75-55. Uh, Ladarian Griffin had a career night. Uh, some some great performances from Idris Taki and Matt Mobley, among others as well. And again, without without Jalen Adams. JP, what was your general thoughts on the game? Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned uh, Ladarian. And I'm hoping people can hear me. I'm in the driver's seat here next to, to Chuck. I'm hoping everybody can hear me okay. Um, you know, I, I think I think Ladarian is certainly the guy who, who really stood out yesterday. Goes for 18 points, 11 rebounds, even four assists, all of which were career highs for him. Um, and of course, he kind of put the exclamation point on it at the end with the just the big right-handed dunk down the middle of the lane. Seems like he's good for for one of those a game. Uh, you know, these days. So. You know, he stood out, and there were some guys, as you said, that that really played pretty well offensively, which helped make up for the fact that they, once again, didn't have Jalen Adams in this game. He missed his sixth straight game to start the season with that ankle injury. Um, You know, Dries Taki, who had been struggling, comes out and has a nice game offensively, 13 points. He kind of got them going at the the beginning, like you said last night. Uh, Amadi Pizzi had eight. Uh, that's his season high. Andres's 13 was a season high. Uh, you know, Matt Mobley was was Mobley. He did his thing. He came into the game 32nd nationally in scoring at 22 points and hit his average last night. So he kind of did his usual thing. But for all these guys that we're talking about on offense, it was really their defense, and and that's the thing that Schmidt, you know, wanted to to talk about. And even when I was talking to Ladarian. You know, that's what he uh, kept kind of um, veering off to is, is how well the defense played yesterday. I mean, this is, uh, uh, you know, to hold um, this team to 34%, hold any team to 34%, on under 30% of the first half shooting is very good. Uh, this is a Siena team that was averaging over 76 points per game. Bonna holds them to 55. Um, and did a really good job on uh, Siena's leading scorer, that Nico Clareth came into last night averaging 18 points. They held him to 9 on 2 for 10 shooting. He, he didn't really, uh, you know, they kept, uh, you know, kept the ball out of his hands and made things difficult for him. He never really got in any kind of a groove. Um, and Siena as a team didn't. And, and they missed some shots, but I think you really have to to, to credit, um, you know, Bonna's defense. And I, I think in the early going here, they've gotten off to a much better start defensively than they did last year. You know, they've played six games now. They've held four of them, I think, under or three of them under 60 points. Um, and then the Maryland game, they gave up, uh, you know, 63-61 in that game. But that was that was kind of their signature defensive performance of the year so far. So defense has been a little bit better uh, at the start here this year, and that's I think a, a, certainly a big, uh, uh, you know, that's that's nice for them to see it a big key for them going forward. Yeah, I I noted it last night in the first half how th- this team and and Jalen being out has a, t- a ton to do with it, obviously. But this team looks better on defense half of the time than it does on offense, and it was a really, really slow start to the game. You, you weren't thinking 20-point thinking blowout right away, right. but with the defense... You just keep looking up at the scoreboard and realizing that they were pulling pulling away every single time. And I think this team has a lot of players that are more defensive-minded as it is. They've, they've, 
they were recruited for their defense. They were still raw offensively, but they were recruited and they came here with the defensive mentality. Ladarian Griffin's main job, scoring has come along with it, but his main job is to do that Deion Wright role of being at the top of the 1-3-1 zone and then and playing tough man-to-man defense also. He's, he's good for a couple defensive plays a game just that are just simply mind-boggling, and he finds ways to do it for the most part without fouling. Uh, shameless shameless plugs here uh, for our articles. Go on onlyantimeserial.com to check those out if you haven't already. Uh, JP focused on Ladarian, got a lot of great quotes from Ladarian, and then focused on the defense in his game story. And then I had, I had mine on Adrice, and Adris was was pretty impressive, at the, especially at the start last night, because uh, Mobley took took a minute or two to get going. Everybody was taking taking some time to get going, and Adris steps up and gets gets the big points early. And that's that he has those games where, especially when uh, especially when Jalen Adams isn't 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 in the lineup or isn't uh, performing well where you realize that he does have the talent to do it. And he kind of he kind of was, was smiling when I mentioned how he got out of the slump and, and, and being in the slump because he knows as well as anybody that he's not going to average 20 points, 20 points a night. Right. But he has the skill to, to achieve those things. And a lot of people on social media have been very critical uh, of him, they were very critical of him in the Florida tournament, um, and they they basically were calling for uh, Isaiah Brockton to take his minutes. Um, I think Schmidt, Taki, and Brockington all know better than anybody that Brockington's not going to average twenty points a game either. So it's an interesting dynamic with this team how everybody's been stepping up. And they've not only learned how to play without Jalen Adams, they've been excelling without Jalen Adams. Well, there's, there are a couple of things there I want to touch on. The first, we mentioned Isaiah Brockington. I, I think maybe we got a little bit ahead of ourselves with him, um, but it was it was it was hard not to do that. And I, I, I was guilty of this because I I wrote a column just the other day, um, basically saying that you know the the one of the big takeaways from their performance down in Florida. Uh, was the emergence of Isaiah Brockington and asking, you know, the question of will we see a backcourt with Brockington, Mobley, and Adams when he gets back? How much uh, of that lineup will we see? And, 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 and maybe how, how much will he, uh, you know, cut into Taki's time? Um, but, you know, we probably have to reel that back in a, a, a little bit. But it was difficult to do. Because yeah, he had he had 18 against Maryland Eastern Shore, and you have to take that with a grain of salt because of the opponent. But then he's scoring, you know, he was a factor in that Maryland game, and then he's scoring a game high 20 points against TCU, two of the best teams that they'll see all year. No so doubt. to me, the fact that he was doing it against those that caliber of opponent, I thought, okay, maybe maybe he is kind of this good out of the gate. But you do have to realize that he's still only a freshman, and you know he came in last night and. His shots weren't going down, and you know he, he only had two points on one for six shooting. So, you know that was a reminder that he hasn't arrived just yet. And I, I think he's going to be a good player. I think when uh, you know when Chef Gal Kalandi, um, you know, really starts to get some minutes, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, later. Uh, you know, he'll be he'll be a good player. <clears throat> but they're not there quite yet. And with Taki, this is a guy who's been starting for three years now he's a senior co-captain Schmidt trusts Patrice Taki he, he, he's, he, we know that he's not going to uh, you know be a big scorer uh, you know to me he probably should be a little bit more of a scorer as an Atlantic 10 level shooting guard basically uh, or, or small forward um, you know we know he's not going to be that but this is a guy that, you know, Schmidt trusts being out there just from a leadership standpoint, from a defense standpoint, knowing what to do. Uh, you know, he's a smart player. 
He's not going to kill you with a, a, a bad play or a bad turnover or anything like that. And, you know, we, we've, we've seen these kinds of guys before. I remember a couple of years ago, people really got on uh, Andel Cumberbatch from time to time, maybe because he had a bad night offensively. And, you know, but he kept, you know, Schmidt kept starting and kept playing him because he trusted him to be out there. He was a good defender. He did a lot of little things that the coaches appreciate that maybe we as as fans and, and media, you know, don't appreciate or things behind the scenes that we don't really pick up on that that the coaching staff values. And so I think Taki's that kind of guy. So I, I, I think he's certainly going to continue to start. And uh, you know, but Brockington will get will get his time. Even on a on a kind of a off night last night, he still played 20 some minutes. Um, and I still think he'll get he'll get some minutes when when uh, when Jalen gets back. Um, and then and then just. You know, d defensively, again, you mentioned that, um, you know, they just kind of seem to have maybe a little bit different mindset with that this year. And it makes me think back to a quote uh, right before the season started when we were doing the media day down there. And, and I was asking, uh, I think it was, was Jalen, about how much better the defense needed to be this year. And he compared it to uh, the Golden State Warriors situation. I think, I think you were sitting at the table with me. He said, Golden State Warriors are obviously very good and explosive offensively, but they didn't become this, you know, uh, you know, championship level team the way they were last year until they figured it out on the defensive end as well. Golden State, for as good as they are offensively, became a very good defensive team, and that was kind of the mindset they wanted to take into this year. They knew that They'd pretty much be able to score with anybody, and that's and that's certainly that, that's kind of already been the case, and it certainly will be the case when when Jay gets back. You know, they led the league in scoring last year, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did that again this year. Um, but it's the you know it's the defensive side that obviously needs to improve, and I think the way they play defensively against Maryland, you know, with that zone, just kind of uh, you know just befuddling Maryland with the zone. I think that was really the, the first real taste they got of, okay, if we can defend and, and, and we go all out on that end, we can win a lot of games that way. We can win some of the bigger games that way. That's what Griffin said last night. Um, you know, on that one, they mobley struggled. They kind of took him out of the game a little bit. Vana didn't hit a single three-pointer and, and won the game. So I think that's... That's the taste they got that, hey, if, if we play defense like this, you know, that's what's going to, you know, allow us to maybe meet, obviously, these really high expectations this year. To me, I think seasons can definitely connect. And I think the veteran players, the biggest wake-up call on defense was the Canisius, uh, the Canisius loss last year because nobody went into that one, student section or not, expecting them to give up over 100 points and to give up as many threes as they did. And I remember us talking to Mobley in the press conference after that game, and he was basically saying, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't talk out there enough. We didn't do enough on defense. We didn't do the things that we needed to do. And it, was, it, it basically all starts with defense. Then, at the, then this year, the Niagara loss, we talked to... Adris Taki, immediate availability the next day, and Adris will always, Adris and Mobley, there's a lot of good talkers on this team, and they're all, they're, they're all very honest about what needs to happen, what needs to change, and he basically said that they weren't talking again, and to me that's a personal affront when you're a captain to, that, that, that your team's not talking on defense. Because when you're when you're the captains, and once they have have Adams back, all three captains will be back on the same floor. It when you realize that, then I think the light clicks a lot easy. It, the light turns on a lot easier. Yeah. And the the young guys have really bought in so far. I w I would say, um, Brockington. A lot of people mention how he doesn't play like a freshman, and I think that's because his maturity level is way higher than the than the average freshman I know I wasn't wasn't mature enough to even uh, handle my handle my school work well enough compared to how he's handling being 
already in the spotlight of being a Division One player. So his maturity, and you can tell that he's he's definitely been playing when he's when he's been playing basketball. He's always had a high basketball IQ. You can tell. You have to to get into that spot. And so everybody's really bought bought in, especially with the young guys. And I think that has a lot to do with it, especially when you're not playing. Yeah, we mentioned the term buying in. I, I think that's an appropriate. Um, you know, term for, for what it is right now. Um, they have begun to learn how to play and win games without Adams. And, you know, hopefully for their sake, they don't have to, they won't have to continue to do that for too much longer. Um, but I think that's kind of what we're seeing. And going back to that Niagara game, you know, I'm, I'm still going to call that a, a, a debacle. And I don't, I don't want to make, you know, an excuse for them necessarily by saying this uh, because I, I think they still should absolutely have won that game without without Adams and you know you're seeing now that um, you know Niagara went out to, to, to UMass and got got handled you know by a, a UMass team that I don't think is going to be one of the better A-10 teams this year um, they got smacked by UB last night um, you know Bonda's opponent on Saturday in two days here you know, so I, I still think that's a game that even without Adams, you, you, you probably just have to be able to beat a MAC team at home. Um, but but what I will say though is that, uh, and it, it was hard to to maybe want to admit this or realize this at the time, is that it was their first game of the year, and that that game already is a little bit more difficult just from the standpoint of you know not really knowing what to expect, not knowing what you're going to get out of some of the new guys, not knowing how guys are going to play together for real, you know, for the first time. Um, and then throw in the fact that you don't have your quarterback out there, basically. And I do think that can have, you know, an effect on things. And, you know, they end up, uh, you know, they end up losing the game, which is which is going to sting, you know. I think it's going to continue to sting throughout the course of the year. Um, but since then, they've started to, figure it out. They've started to, um, you know, come together without Adams and, you know, learn how to, to play without having that kind of guy in your lineup. They've got other guys stepping up. They've got younger guys, um, you know, kind of stepping up and seizing the opportunity that they've been given with Adams out. They're, they're playing defense and they're, you know, I, I think they're starting to come together. We saw it really for the first time you know, down in Florida, the fact that they were able to win that Maryland game without Jalen, um, and then put up the fight they did the next night against TCU, and I think we saw another step. You know, last night against Siena, uh, you know, to, and Siena's a, a young, uh, kind of rebuilding team this year. They're only one in five now, so it wasn't like they, you know, beat this top level team yesterday. They they lost their. Uh, you know, their really nice core that they had the last couple of years that led them to a couple of 21 seasons and last year to the, you know, to the MAC championship game. But still, to to come in on the road in your first true road game of the year against a rival, and we know these games have really always been, you know, close since the Franciscan Cup uh, came into play in 2010. To be able to come in, do that, uh, and win as convincingly as they did without their best player, uh, again, I'll say the same thing, you know, a after the, the Florida tournament. I think that just bodes well, you know, going forward here for the rest of the season. Absolutely. And we, one of the, one of the things that we just got to talk about, you mentioned, mentioned the Niagara loss. We've seen them beat Maryland and everybody immediately wants to know, did that, did that completely erase erase it in the terms of terms of NCAA tournament and the RPI and the bracketology it's it, it seems like uh, John Rothstein of CBS always always says this it's only it's only November but with the with the snub in 2015-16 everybody's everybody's already talking about it and that's what fans that's what fans do right you want to you want to see if the team's on track you want to have a have a glimpse of it. All we really know right now is that 
Niagara, the Niagara loss hurt <laughs> hurt the RPI and every all those metrics a lot sizably and then they regrouped and all those metrics shot up after the Maryland and TC and TCU games so what do what do you make of this whole bracketology talk on November 30th well and and, and so here's the thing with that when, when you have a season with these kinds of expectations um, where there is the the, um, the hope of making the NCAA tournament, every game is going to be analyzed and overanalyzed, and you know what does it mean, and how how much does this help, and how much does that one hurt, you know, and, and, and there's never there's not there 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 isn't a clear answer um, to that. There's no set formula as we know, um, you know, even just going back to the, that 15-16 season, um, you know that that's even a good indication of just how un, unpredictable these things can be. And yeah, I think there's always going to be, um, you know, an element of um, Bana not getting the benefit of the doubt in some areas that a lot of bigger schools might. But, you know, I look at in 15-16, you know, they lose to last place LaSalle, you know, towards the end of that season. Um, and we still thought that they should have ended up making the tournament that year. Uh, they didn't have a signature non-conference win that season, and we still thought that they should have made it that year. So, you know, I, I, I don't know how much of an effect it will ultimately have. Obviously, there's, there's so much season left to go. I think you kind of have to just see what happens from here. Um, but the one thing I will say is, one difference from two years ago already is they they already have um, you know a nice signature non-conference win. They they've got one top 50 win under their belt already, and they've got a couple of other opportunities coming up here. So before we just say that the Niagara game's a killer, uh, you know, in the end all be all, if you you know go into uh, the dome and beat a Syracuse and kind of get another top 50, 60 win. Uh, Vermont is going to represent a possibility of a top 50-60 win. If you win some of these games, and especially if Adams comes back and plays well and they win some of these games, I, I think it'll, I think it would be uh, easier for a committee at the end of the year to say, hey, this was a much different team after that first game. And, and that game was so long ago. You know, come March, that game will have been so, so long ago. And if right away after that game, you know, they're starting to win some of the big ones and they've, and they've, they've already gotten one with Maryland, I think it'll be easier to say this is a much, this is, a, this is more of a representation of what this team has been this year than what happened in that first game against Niagara. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's always going to be considered a bad loss. It's going to go down as a, as a sub, you know, 200 loss probably. But that might be up against a number of good wins. Now they still have to go out and win those games, you know. We'll see. Um, but I, I don't think you can say any, anything definitive because there are just too many factors, you know, that go into it. And we, we, you have to see how things play out. You have to see how some of these other teams do. One, one thing that I think could be a, a, a big factor this year from an at-large standpoint is. The league itself, the A10, is um, is down this year. It, it, it's, it's probably more down this year than it's been in the last I don't know, you know, seven, eight, nine years. And you know that that might play a factor because two years ago they had a number of built-in opportunities just in league play, and that kind of made up for the fact that they didn't have a signature non-conference win. You know, because you had Dayton was nationally ranked. Bonnet goes into Dayton when they were number 15 in the country and gets that win. VCU, you know, was a borderline ranked team. St. Joe's is a top 30, 35 team. They swept Joe's that year and got two nice wins that way. Uh, you know, Rhode Island was a pretty good team that year. So you had opportunities at those, you know, top 50, 60 wins in conference play. They might not have that. This year, if the A-10 stays as down as it is, right now you've got, uh, you know, a Rhode Island 
um, and they've got you know a, a nice win. They beat a ranked Seton Hall team without their best player, UC Matthews. But you know Matthews is going to be out for a while. We'll see what Rhode Island ends up being. Joe's, you know, I thought Joe's could you know make a run at being maybe the best team in the league this year, right up in that top three, certainly uh, if healthy and already. You know, they're, we know they're not. They're, they're cursed. They're, they're not cursed. healthy. Okay, so if these teams are, are a little bit more down and if the 8-10, you know, instead of, uh, you know, 8 or 10 top 100 teams, they have more like 3, you know, or 4, they're not going to have as many opportunities, you know, in league play to get those wins. And that could be, you know, a, a, a factor at the end of the season. So I think before we can really start saying, you know, well, this needs to happen, you got to let it play out a little bit. I mean, we, we have to see what they do on Saturday against UB before we can start, you know, projecting how things are, are going to go. That's going to be a very difficult game, especially if Adams doesn't play. Uh, so, you know, one thing I will say, though, is that December, in, in a lot of ways, probably could be make or break because of the fact that you're not going to have those opportunities in, 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 in the conference. In December, we talked about it last night going into the press conference. They've got UB. They've got Vermont. They've got a solid Northeastern team. They've got a solid Yale team. They've got Syracuse. Um, those are games, you know, I don't know if you have to win them all, but you you got to win most of those games. you got to beat like a Vermont, uh, you know, on a neutral floor in Rochester because that's going to be a nice win. you got to maybe find a way to go, go to the Dome and win. If they, if they lose a couple of those games, then I think you might be in a position where you're saying, okay, they're, they're not in an at-large, you know, conversation right now. It's, it's just interesting, and that, that the snub took a lot of people's enjoyment of strictly, like, the, strictly the season and strictly game by game and, and enjoying watching the team last year there was so much of a- a- analyzing every game and saying gotta gotta win in in the a10 tournament and I think that it took a, the, the the snub obviously hurt a lot it hurt a lot of people but you are right that this team already has a better win in non-conference than that team had and a lot of people a lot of people are saying that Adams being out isn't an excuse. The committee won't look into it. And I don't necessarily think I agree with that, to be honest, because everybody knows who, who Jalen Adams is, the real analysts and people of college basketball, who people who are following closely enough to have a say on the, about the NCAA tournament, know about Jalen Adams by now. And in that 2015-16 season, people are saying that Bonner didn't get the benefit of the doubt, and they didn't. But they also didn't have a player injured, a star player injured, for any of those losses. So it, it it's always it's always been fun to talk about. But I think when you're crunching all the RPI and everything, instead of just enjoying a win like last night, enjoying watching what this team is becoming, enjoying watching what they can do without the best player in the Atlantic 10. It's, 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 to me, it's an exciting thing that a lot of people are missing out on when you're only looking at the numbers. And if you look at the bracketology today, there's a ton of Bono opponents on there. Vermont's on there. They think UB's going to win the MAC. Uh, the, I, I'm not sure. Maryland was a nine seed, I think. Maryland and TCU were both both on there. The the strength of schedule is the the, the schedule's been strong, and as long as the teams keep winning, it's still going to continue to be strong. And when when about half of your half of your non-conference schedule is in the in the field as of now, it's only going to look better if you go and beat those teams. I think an. Uh, that's a good segue to talking about Jalen Adams, who I'm sure you guys can't believe that we've gone a half hour into this without talking about uh, his his injury. Well, and and before we even do that, we're gonna go a half hour and then another minute or two because I wanted to just 
you know, chime in what you said there. Uh, I mean, you're right. This is what I was talking about before when I said, uh, you know, when you have these kinds of expectations, everything is going to be analyzed to death. Every every game, every win and loss, and in that way, Bana has kind of become a victim of its own success because you know, instead of in 2015-16, it was such a surprise that they were doing as well as they did that you could just kind of sit back and enjoy the ride. You know, we, we knew probably early on in, in, in league play that year, you remember, they started out 4-0. and And that's when, you know, to, to go to like, I don't know what it was, like 12-2 and 12 and 2 or 12-3 and 3 on the season. And that's when we kind of knew that something special was, was, was sort of happening. Um, but it was such a surprise that you were able to just kind of let it happen and it was great and it wasn't until maybe the very very end that you know it was all about uh okay what do they have to do and how important is this and how how bad was that loss or how good was that win and ever since that year it's kind of permanently been in that you know in in that mentality because you know they go into last year we thought they were going to be pretty good again even after losing uh you know Posley and, and, and Dion um you know, where all last year was just sort of uh, analyzing thing, you know, things from the get-go. When they went down to that <laughs> tournament in Austin, Texas last year, that Lone Star tournament, and lost to Arkansas Little Rock, right away people were saying, season over, season over. You know, and, 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 and yeah, they didn't end up uh, making it last year, but... You know, I'd argue, it was, you know, it was only November at that point, and people were, it was, there was so much season left to go, and they ended up having a pretty good year, still winning 20 games. And, uh, you know, same thing now going into this year. They, they lose on the on opening night, and everybody says season over, season over. It's, it's still only November here. We don't know what's going to happen over the next three months. And I, I, I would venture a guess to say that it's probably going to get pretty exciting at times here and the season won't be over but it's just there's such expectations now it's gotten they built it to such a level that that's the way people are gonna look at it and it's it's not like 1516 when it was just kind of a a pleasant surprise with this plucky you know underdog team doing what they were doing now it's so expected that oh if something goes wrong that's that's it you know what i mean and and the other thing too is you know taking the whole at-large thing out of the equation let's not discount the fact too that this is a team that's built to be able to go into an a10 tournament and win it uh, obviously they didn't they didn't do that last year they ran into you know uh, one of the hotter teams in the country at that point Rhode Island but having a guy uh, having two guys like Adams and, 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 and Mobley and you know super stocker and a guy like Brockington is by the end of the season that's a team that could always that always is going to have a chance to to get in that way by going going into Washington D.C. getting hot for three days and winning the whole thing. Um, so no matter what happens, uh, there's always going to be that possibility as well. And I think you know in the meantime, still we have still not even reached December first yet. There's still a lot of things that can happen. And right now, I think you got to be in the mindset of let's just see, let's see, let's see how they do, let's see how. They handle themselves going against a pretty good UB team on the road Saturday night. It, yeah, and the Siena radio announcers were talking. We were we were writing up our stories uh, at our at our seats for the for the game last night because it's always a pretty good spot to spot to be in after the game, less cramped. And the Siena radio announcers were saying that, and and this may be just after watching the team it may be a little bit of recency bias on on their part but they were saying that they think Bonaventure is going to win the win the Atlantic 10 and be an NCAA tournament team and I think when the season started most most Bona fans love liked and and would have would like to have believed that and did believe that and it, it's interesting we were talking talking about it after after uh, filing the stories last night how the, the people on Twitter and social media love to love to 
yeah, say season over, say gotta win out right now, and I I think you have to give the committee a little bit more credit than that. <laughs> this team does not need to go 28 and two to oh. qualify for an <laughs> at-large bid. I, I think I think Bana uh, is going to be the one to determine whether or not it gets the benefit of the doubt at the end of the year. Uh, because, like I said before, if they win some of these games, if they, if they if, if have a, a Maryland, a Vermont, and a Syracuse win under their belt going into conference play, then I think the committee would absolutely be able to go back and say, okay, clearly this is a much different team than what they were in the first game of the season. And so, and so yes, we can overlook the fact that they lost to Niagara at home. Because look what they did after that. Clearly, they're a much better team. They beat three, you know, within a month after that first game, they went and beat three top 50 teams. You know, so again, they've got to they've got to win them. But it's going to be Bana is going to be the one to determine, you know, what the committee says about them at the end of the year by what they do in these next six games. Exactly. And now that now that I've been so ow, now that ow, I've been okay. so uh, so rudely cut off. Just kidding. Those are good <laughs> good, good points. Uh, now we can talk about Jalen Adams, the, the the man who will help determine if if they get the benefit of the doubt. I think I think we were a little bit surprised to walk into the Times Union Center last night and see see him not only shooting around because he's he's been been shooting some shots in in, in pregame before, but to me that was more of a laid back. I'm I'm bored. Let's let let me get some shots up. Uh, give me the ball for a second. Last night he was in shorts. He was in shorts and a t-shirt, in warm-ups, going going at a pretty decent pace, getting getting shots up, and he was being he he was being being afforded every opportunity to get get the shots up. Apparently. Uh, we we were told that in the walkthrough before the game, which is never really a walkthrough with with Schmidt, uh, he was he was going decently decently hard. Um, it's a it's a thing where he's been he's been an amazing teammate on the bench, but he might not be on the bench much much longer. And it, it, I was talking to Dries Taki last night, and he goes he goes it's it's coming it's coming so. What are what are your thoughts on on perhaps the biggest story of the Bada season so far? Oh yeah, I was I was uh, surprised, like you said, to walk in last night. I think really the first thing we noticed is Adams out on the floor with his teammates, uh, shooting around, moving around with them. He, it, and I think there are a lot of a lot of positives, you know, from the last few days. We we know he returned to practice on Tuesday. Uh, you know, he was out there on, on Wednesday with his teammates shooting. It looked like he was moving pretty well. Uh, there were a couple of times where he'd go off to the sideline and jog kind of from, from end to end a little bit. You know, looked looked okay. Maybe not, you know, all, all the way, uh, you know, healthy there. But, um, you know, I, I think that was a good sign. And like you said, we talked to a person close with the team who said he was going – um, you know, relatively hard earlier in the day in the walkthrough, um, and so you know at the at, at the end of the game they go out to uh, accept their Franciscan. He was going know, crazy, and he was getting into it with his teammates. He was jumping up and down, and you know, jumping up in the air and, and chest bumping them. Um, you know, maybe Schmidt's not totally crazy about that, but I also think that's. Uh, you know, a really good sign that he's out there able to do that. And so, um, will he play against UB? I'm, I'm thinking there's a, I'm thinking there's a chance that he's going to play against UB. And if he doesn't, my prediction is it'll be the last game that that he misses. Having him, having him back for a road game against Canisius, which is always going to be a, a tough game to win because of the atmosphere they they make it there, and we'll talk about that more uh, during the during the Canisius episode, but 
yeah, I, I agree with, with all those points. I think that he's he's definitely looking like the old old Jalen Adams a little bit, um, like the Jalen Adams we're used to seeing. I didn't see anything that was different from him getting shots up before a regular game, except for the fact that it was eliminated pretty quickly if he would be playing or not, considering he wasn't wearing <laughs> wearing the official jersey jersey uh, shorts. See, see with Jalen, we we always have to find all these all these context clues with with them. We always have to read into read into everything. But it's been the it's been the thing all year, and it's not just it's not just us. Every beat writer for every team in the upcoming game, all the all the all the people following them want to talk about is 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 Adams playing, and it do, it didn't even matter if it was Maryland or Maryland or TCU. Those those fans know about Jalen Adams, and everybody knows about his impact. I think that once he comes back, it might take a it might take another minute to re- re- refresh and get back into playing with playing with the teammates. But I mean, they've done such a good job without him that the whole basic thing is what can they be with him in there? Well, that's the question. Um... That's a question I actually asked Schmidt in the aftermath of the, the Emerald Coast tournament. Um, you know, my, my, my whole thing is if if this is a team that was good enough to beat, you know, a Maryland who, who ranked like number 33, you know, in the country by Ken Palm at that point, away from the Riley Center, uh, you know, without their best player and without their second best player even on the floor for the last play of the game um, how good can they be when he when Adams comes back and you know Schmidt was I, I, I don't think he wanted to go too far into that rabbit hole of, which he never uh, does which he never <laughs> does never making, you know predicting you know setting the bar too high for his own for his own team um so, you know, he just said that, you know, I think we're, uh, you know, making strides as a team that they would have needed to make with or without Adams going the rest of the way. And that's, you know, when he said that, I think we're learning uh, how to, 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 to figure out uh, how to win and play without him. And, and we're starting to figure out how important, you know, the defensive end is. Uh, and and so, he you know, he didn't. He didn't want to, to to set things too high, but I think for the rest of us, we're uh, you know saying here that this this is a team that still can meet you know these lofty expectations that were set in the preseason. Um, you know, a- after the Niagara game, you know I think things were on hold a little bit um, because that 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 is a, 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 a tough loss and it's a loss that can linger and you know we didn't know that in the next two games they didn't play anybody good enough to, to really you know provide any kind of indication as to as to who they really might be uh, because I think the people in this car would have given Maryland Eastern Shore <laughs> I think Galakalundi and, and Brockington combined for 39 and you and I might have put up maybe you know 17 or 18 in that <laughs> Sixteen of those would have so, come from you. So we didn't know, but you know, I think after the Maryland game, it's like okay, it's back on. You know, the, the, you you have our attention again, and uh, boy, the, if they if they can beat a team like Maryland, then when Adams gets back, maybe they can be this team that you know can meet these you know these expectations. Um, but again, we have to see. You know, we have to see how things play out. We have to see if they can get by. Uh, a, a pretty good UB team that made Oates has done a very good job with UB in my opinion um, and, and, and how some of these other games play out in December but at least for right now they've got our attention again passing through passing through Enwell shout out to the 2016 Little League World uh, Series champs man Enwell I think that I think that the second most most sent question in when I sent it out for questions. You guys, you guys need to step up the, that job and, and ask more questions. By the way, I, we we want to answer them. We want we want to know what you guys want to talk about. Anyways, 
the the second one besides when is Jalen Adams coming back or any related Jalen Adams then second biggest biggest question is is when is when is Chef Galakulandi coming off the coming off the bench again? And we were jokingly calling calling uh the, the, the people who have consistently called for him back in the the, the chef tru- truthers right. <laughs> you're joking around hey every 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 player needs needs his subsection of of fans and after he performed so well against Maryland Eastern Shore it's it's a interesting question why he didn't he hasn't really gotten in since from every indication he can still be a contributor we Schmidt Schmidt was was saying basically it's it, it's just the flow of the game it's just the way the game goes. Last night I think PZ and some of the other and Griffin and, and the other big men were playing well enough that they they didn't they didn't even deserve Schmidt always says you're not going to be taken out if you're if you if you come in and you're proving yourself out there. So what what do you what do you have to say to the chef truthers on when he when he's coming back in? Well, it's it's funny. I think that's a good term for it. And I have to say that uh, my dad is a is a chef truther because <laughs> after that uh, performance against Maryland Eastern Shore, where he led the team with 21 points, I stopped at home, and uh, my dad said, "You know how they, uh, you know, with the." with the Yankees, with Aaron Judge. They've got that section of fans out there, the judges' chambers, and they wear the robes and the, and the wigs. Where are the, where are the chef's he hats? Said, he said he's <laughs> up in his uh, uh, Red Sea section that he's going to uh, start the chef hats out there. <laughs> uh, and, and, and he wanted him, uh, you know, he's really taken an interest in chef, I think, because over the summer when those guys were back and they would play in, like, at the end of the night after, like, Schmidt's youth camp, we would go down. I went down with my dad on one of those nights, and we were watching the chef shoot, and he just had a really nice stroke, and you could tell that he was that he was a little more skilled than maybe we thought, and a little bit more skilled than uh, you know the, the average uh, guy who comes in under Schmidt, a uh, Denzel Gregg, for instance. Uh, I mean, you could say right now that Chef's already you know maybe a better pure shooter and the same kind of athlete you know as some of those guys that came before him um, and so when we saw that against Maryland Eastern Shore we're like yep that's the guy that's the guy we saw in the summer we know that he's got a he's got a stroke like that but I think even with with him same with Isaiah we maybe got a little bit too ahead of ourselves and you know maybe we didn't take uh, that performance with enough of a grain of salt to, you know, he had a great game and everything, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if that was an indication, you know, that, like I said, that he's arrived right away here. I think it was more of a product of who it came against. He had a lot of open shots, as everybody did that night, wide open shots, and he made them, and he, and he played really well, but I don't think that's a, um, you know, maybe a sign necessarily that he's all the way there yet. And I think if anybody knows that, it's Schmidt. He's the one that sees him in practice every day. I don't think it's anything. I don't think it's any kind of a conspiracy theory. I don't think it's it's a, uh, a thing where he's in the doghouse. I think a lot of people can't be in the doghouse after he scored 21 points. I think a lot of people think that right now that he did something, you know, maybe behind the scenes to, to find his way into the doghouse here. But I, I just don't think that's the case. We've been down in practice, and uh, he seems like a good kid and he came in and he did the press conference that night and they were joking the two of them were joking around together I just think it's a thing where uh, Schmidt doesn't feel like he's fully ready to be out there against any team not named Maryland Eastern Shore and you know he's still coming along and he'll eventually you know he'll get his time Schmidt said he's got (laughs) he's got a couple other guys in front of him right now we've seen like you said that some of these other guys are, are, are playing well. A, a, a Griffin and Beasy uh, <laughs> played well last night. And Taki broke out of his slump. And if that's going to be the case, um, you know, minutes are going to be hard to come by, at least in the early going here. I think so. that I think that from from a reporter's perspective, we hope that he continues to make an impact because he's he's one of the 
one of the really good talkers already on the team, and I think I've, I think we've only spoken to him a handful of times. That was, even even Schmidt, even Schmidt joked joked around a little bit, like Chef's first first press yeah, conference. First press conference. <laughs> so he's 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 a player that the reporters reporters <laughs> like, the fans already clearly like, and Brockington is as well. That's another that's another thing that like we were going back to. Like this is a likable, exciting team to watch. And I think that that's another point where you can say you can't get your head wrapped around always in every single metric. Just enjoy the ride a little bit. The other thing too is I don't know how this is gonna sound, but I, I think that it's very easy for Schmidt to kind of become lost in the game. And, and, and we know how uh, just, you know, almost to, a, to an obsessive level uh, involved he is in every aspect of what's going on out there. It's part of his preparation. It's part of their mindset. That's one of the advantages that they have to have going into every game or maybe they're not always going to out-talent teams is, is to, uh, to have that game plan. And so he's so wrapped up in that that I, I do think that he, he might even forget at times that he's got, you know, some of these guys on the bench. And just specific to last night, you know, even in a 20-point game, he's always, he's always coaching. He's always so wrapped up in it. I don't even think he maybe knew or realized that Mobley could come out of the game. <laughs> They're up 20 most of the second half, and Mobley still ended up playing all 40 minutes. That was probably that probably didn't have to happen. And I know there are a lot of fans out there who were, you know, for all the good that happened yesterday, they were still kind of, you know, wondering after the game why on earth did Mobley had to play 40 minutes? Why couldn't he have gotten him out toward the end of the game? I think sometimes it's that he gets so caught up in these things he maybe doesn't even realize. So anyway, my point with that overall is I don't think there's anything, you know, beyond surface level going on with Chef. I, I think that's just, you know, where Schmidt feels things need to be right now. So I would I would agree with that. It's 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 better. It's for Bonna's benefit that Schmidt is so invested into the game, and I think that has has to do again with the buying in and the defensive factor, is because Schmidt doesn't allow them to take plays off. And against Niagara, I think they knew that they took a couple plays off, didn't get back in transition defense, everything like that. And you you just know that that film session. I would not want to be in the room at that film session because. Not only Schmidt, but the assistant coaches—they're—they're they're as rigid and as obsessive in, in, as possible, and they don't—maybe not as obsessive as possible because Jimmy Patsos was on the other sideline, and and you know that that loss was just just killing killing him. But I think in a world of in a world of preening. Uh, preening all about me, all about the image, coaches and ex-coaches, Rick Pitino. <laughs> it's 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 refreshing to see, and Bonna fans should absolutely love. Which sometimes it's sometimes it's easy to criticize the coach, but should absolutely love that Schmidt is all about the next thing at hand, and it 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 kills us sometimes when we want when we when we want answers to when Jalen could be coming back. We want answers about a huge, huge, big road stretch coming up, and he'll only talk about Siena. But overall, Schmidt's already doing one of his best coaching jobs ever, in my opinion, without Adams, and you wrote about that as well, about how he he completely outcoached Mark, Mark Turzon, and don't know if I, he outcoached Jamie Dixon, because Jamie Dixon's an amazing coach as well, but... He kept them. He kept Bonas in the game in that game too, and I think when you consider he's doing all this without the player everyone thought was 
everyone has been thinking is indispensable and must be on the court in order for Bono to win. It's it's got to be he's got to be leading the running for for coach of the year in the A10 already. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think any team, uh, if there's a team that doesn't have the agreed upon league player of the year, and that team still, you know. Uh, having any modicum of success that that coach has got to be uh, you know maybe the early uh, front runner for that uh, and it just it just goes to show too that that you know like I said when Adams comes back they still have the opportunity to do everything that they want to do to accomplish everything that that they want to accomplish because I think Schmidt <laughs> has done a really good job so far this year and we know, you know, that, that, that preparation with Bonna has always been so critical, you know, to what they're doing because, you know, they, that, that's something that they, they have to have. They're not just going to be able to waltz into a game and, 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 and get by just, just always on their talent. So I think, you know, Schmidt has done a good job. I think, um, you know, a lot of guys have stepped up. There, there are others who... I think we're still waiting to, to, to see that from, but I think, you know, some of these guys have stepped up. I think they've, um, you know, they're starting to maybe figure it out a little bit more defensively than they did last year because there are still stretches where, you know, in that Niagara game, um, you know, against TCU certainly, but that was, that was maybe more a, a product of just kind of being gassed at that point, but obviously they gave up almost 90, you know, points in that game. And, I think the three-point line defensively could always linger, you know, as a little bit uh, of an issue. But they're starting to certainly be better at that end of the floor. And if they can put all of those things together, you know, when Adams gets back, then, you know, again, I, I do think you have a team that um, at least has the chance to be as good as everybody wanted them to be and thought they could be in the preseason. So, you know, now and now we'll now we'll see. Like I said, I haven't I haven't always loved these these rivalries. Grow, growing up, it was growing up. It was certainly different than than it is now with these with these rivalries because sometimes I think there's almost no gain to winning. There's almost no gain to winning these games. Some of these rivalry games because Bond has become. If not the premier, battling for the premier with UB, uh, team other than other than Syracuse, the Syracuse program in New York. So when when Bonas loses to Niagara, it's always going to start the conversation of should this should this rivalry be continuing because of the sole fact that there's almost nothing to gain from it and there's a lot more to lose. However, the Siena, Siena rivalry, I think it's been the closest rivalry. It's been the most 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 fun from a from an aspect of the, the players just love getting that Franciscan cup after the game. They uh, uh, Adrice was Adrice and Ladarian were saying how they really really it, it actually it means something when you go go to the rivalry game and you get that cup. Time, Times, Union, Times Union Center, great great arena. Jimmy Pazzo is always entertaining. We missed out on his press conference last night, which is probably the one one thing that didn't go right on the trip. Over, overall, a fun fact, too, that Ric Flair won the 1992 Royal Rumble at Times Union Center. I was loving watching those those highlights. Overall, GP, what's your thoughts on the Siena rivalry? I, I haven't really stopped to think about just how disappointing that was that we had to miss out on the Patzos press conference because in every other trip that I've made uh, to the Times Union Center, Schmidt has always done the traditional press conference, and it's weird there. They always, in most places, the the, the the road coach will go first so he can get in and get out. They can get out of there, um, but with Siena, it was always Patzos would go first, so you know you're gonna be in there for it, and then Schmidt would come in. But last night. Um, apparently the the home media didn't didn't need Schmidt, so we just talked to him ourselves outside the locker room, like we'll do occasionally on the road. 
and uh, that happened to be at the same time as the Patsos press conference. Uh, he's always super entertaining. He's super eccentric is a good word for it. I think he's animated. He's funny. He's flat out funny. He turns into a, a stand-up comedian at times during these press conferences, and so that's going to go down as one of the bigger disappointments for me from a media standpoint this year is that we missed out on him. He's always got stories, you know, I think it was maybe even last year in the Riley Center, he retold the story of how he once held, he has the distinction, probably the only college coach. The only coach, probably. The only coach, period, ever, that has the distinction of holding Steph Curry scoreless in a game. For anybody who doesn't know that story, I will uh, recant that very quickly here. Um, so this was when Patsos was coaching Loyola, Maryland at the time. Bonna actually got him when he was the Loyola coach in 11-12. They played Loyola up here. That was my first uh, sort of um, experience with, with Patsos up here. Um, so he's coaching Loyola, Maryland. They're playing Davidson, obviously, when, when Curry was there. And this must have been his last year, I think. So it was his, Curry's junior year, I think, was his last year. Yes. And... Um, I, I think they, they, they said going into the game, this is going to be our goal. This is what we want to try to do. I don't care what happens in the game. And they are, got crushed. We, we are going to tr- double, triple, quadruple team him if we have to. We're going to do a box and one where the box is literally on him and the one is trying to guard everybody else. He just hit in the corner, too. He just stayed in the corner, too. And they executed their, their, their game plan. I don't even think he really had a whole lot of touches. Um, and... Like you said, they got uh, kind of crushed in that game. I think Davidson ended up winning the game by like 30 or 35. Um, but they, you know, reached their goal of Curry did not score. And I think he only took like two or three shots. But Curry did not score in that game. And, you know, Patso said afterward, what are people going to remember more 10, 20 years from now? fact that we lost by 35 to Davidson or the fact that we were the team that helped Steph Curry scoreless. So he's always got stories like that. He's always got funny stories. There's a connection there with, with Schmidt, um, you know, uh, with Gary Williams. Schmidt played for Gary Williams at Boston College in the 80s, and Jimmy Patsos was one of, his, one of Gary Williams' top assistants in Maryland before he himself became a head coach in the, you know, whatever that would have been at the time, maybe the late 90s. Um, and, and yeah, the, the, the rivalry has been a true rivalry. And this is, you know, they've they played eight times since 2010. The, the Franciscan Cup was established in 2010. Bana has now won five of them. Siena's won three. Uh, every game uh, up until last night, have been decided by seven points or fewer, I think maybe except one, and the average deficit was four or five points in those games. A bunch of them were one possession games, 73-70, 72-70, So it really has been a great rivalry, and and it's always been a pretty good test for Bana, even in a year where maybe Sienna's a little bit down, like they are this year. Uh, So it's... it's, uh, it's fun. I might have to try to find another way to get into a Patsos press conference later later this year, if possible. Agreed on agreed on all accounts. I think that Albany overall great trip, despite not being able to get to the get to the press conference. Great trip, great people down there in Albany. It was a great atmosphere. We are st- we're still on the road, but we're we're ending ending things a little bit here. Send your questions in because the podcast that we're going to be recording on Saturday is going to be before the, the trip to UB. So we're going we're gonna to make it questions focused. We're going to take the focus off of the actual game and more into the fun things that we're aiming. We had a lot of obviously great talking points to talk about specifically with the, sco- with the scores and scores and stats, but... We definitely we want to know what you want to we want to know what you want to know, and uh, I think this was was a good first 
first first part of the first episode. Good maiden voice. We've we've, we've we've got over over an hour for your, for you to you to enjoy. We're gonna keep this going. Like I said, every every road game. So you you guys have two more more episodes coming up in the uh, in the next week or so. So uh, I didn't crash the car either. So that's a plus. You didn't crash the car. We are we are uh, we're we're getting there to back up back to Olean. And although it was a great trip, I think we're we're pretty pretty excited to to be back home, and we will be heading back up to Alumni Arena, the Madison Square Garden of uh, of Western New York. They try to make it up there. We'll talk more. We'll talk about that uh, from 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 JP, from me, from Derek in the back, who's done, who's who's been pl- playing the quiet game. We might have some questions for him him in the future. Check out his. Check out his stuff. Go to OnlyOnTimesHerald/Sports to check out the articles from 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 last night's game, and keep keep it locked for the next next podcast. So, from Chucky Maggio, JP, Derek, signing off. Thanks for hanging out.